You are listening to Radio Change the World, a special broadcast to celebrate the International Day of the Child. Up next is a series called We Are Listening. This was recorded at York University in Toronto and produced by the Ontario Provincial Advocates Office for Children and Youth. In this episode, Amanda Paris of Toronto talks about a unique community project called Lost Lyrics. It helps kids uncover their roots. Also later, Desiree talks about why newcomer youth are still failing to see themselves represented in society. Welcome to We Are Listening, an audio broadcast. I'm your host, Jelaine Skyers. This is part three in a part four series on the UN Convention on the Right of the Child. This November makes 20 years since the convention was agreed upon by 192 countries to protect children all over the world. In part three of our series, we unpack what the right to identity really means beyond just name and nationality. Next, we interview Amanda Pierce of the Lost Lyrics Project in Ontario. My name is Amanda Paris and I am the coordinator of the Lost Lyrics program as well as the Outreach and Community Partnerships coordinator for the Remix Project. Lost Lyrics, it was created by myself and my best friend with the intention of creating a space between the streets and the classroom. Based on our experiences of being in school, there were a lot of stories and narratives that we felt like we should have learned about that we didn't learn about within the mainstream school system, um, or else we learned about them when we were in university, where it was a space where you had to pay and not a lot of people necessarily have access to. And we wanted to create a space to have that kind of access to information and stories in really creative and innovative ways from a very young age. We've been working with kids between the ages of 11 to 17 for the last three to four years working on that. Because of the communities that we work within, which are the Jane and Finch community and the Malvern community, those are very high diasporic communities, whether it be um, strong South Asian diasporas, Caribbean diasporas, West African diasporas. And so culture obviously plays a role whenever you're in those types of spaces, at least I feel like it should. Um, And just because of who we are and the kind of ways that we look at education, we feel as though um, there should definitely be a sort of personal investment that comes as a part of education. And so um, personal is cultural as well too. So you have to know about yourself in order to know where you're going. Do you think the education system now is lacking that piece? Yeah, well I mean definitely from what I can see it definitely has when I was in school and from the visits that I've been able to do in school systems it continues to lack in a lot of ways and in a lot of ways the way that culture is engaged is in a very tokenistic way so it's like this month we'll celebrate culture or this week we'll have multiculturalism um, not engaging the power dynamics that come with being able to do that and not looking at culture as a very holistic way so you can use culture as a tool to explore almost anything if you really want to. What gets named as culture is oftentimes just kind of relegated to the arts and the arts is seen as something else Um, and not realizing that what we're currently being taught is cultural but it's a Eurocentric culture and so that be that invisibility that this is a culture and it really just being defined as the norm can be very detrimental to someone's development because they see that as the normative that means they create sort of like an internal hierarchy within themselves and saying oh, well, this is just what's normal, and what's normal is whiteness, and I am not of that. And I've been taken away, and I don't have any other spaces of support to tell me that what I am and who I am and where I come from is also just as valid and important and should really be recognized and explored by me so I can make my own decisions about how I want to live my life. Okay. What do you see the role of the government and individuals in the community in terms of teaching the people about the culture? 
I personally am coming from a perspective where I think education should not just be limited limited or delegated to sort of like the things that have been deemed educational institutions. I think education is a holistic experience and it doesn't have a start and end time. Um, I think like similar to First Nations communities, education is just an overall experience. You're educated from the time you were born, you know? Um, I think so that I, with that being said, I feel like every aspect of society plays a role in the education of young people. So whether it be government and the policies that are made, which are very, very important to the grassroots organizing and um, programs that exist in communities that have another type of engagement with young people. It's just like families and the way that they have conversations and the way that they share what they might not necessarily think is important parts of their history, but even just knowing the experiences of our grandparents or our parents coming to these countries are parts of our history that are already being lost in the midst of this age of documentation because people are not realizing how important those narratives are. There's a huge movement right now uh, amongst like youth-led organizing, so it's where young people are taking the initiative themselves to really develop and understand and know who they are and what they want to do. So in terms of what's motivated me, um, I think that there's a wide range of spectrums that have motivated me. I think in a way it wasn't even programs, it was actually going to university and having the opportunity to be taught for the first time ever in my whole educational experience by a black person and a black woman at that and to take and her name is Andrew Davis and she influenced me a huge amount just to even see her in that position and to do what she was doing and to be able to personalize education in a certain way. The classes that she taught really changed my life, Cultures of Resistance in the Americas, Black Culture and Literature in Canada, and Black Women's Writing. And it really allowed me to say that I, like my narrative and, and my experiences are important in a certain way and that they should be shared and I should create a space to share them with other people. Artists like Debbie Young, um, Audrey Zina Mandela, Aita Sadu, um, all of these incredible women who have really translated their activism and their politics into very tangible artistic or business or both. Just be aware of how much the outside world is really trying to inform those thoughts for you. Um, that's all you can do is be aware of it. It doesn't mean that there's any right way or there's any wrong way to live your life to look. Awareness is the biggest key, so educating yourself in the best ways possible, and that doesn't necessarily have to mean reading books, it could just mean taking time out to just reflect and meditate and think, and think on larger levels, think on not just on levels of yourself as an individual, but of you know, the generations that came before you, whether it be your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother, thinking about how where your family has traveled and how many journeys they have gone through. Um, those are all part of what makes you who you are. Welcome back. For more information about the Lost Lyrics Project, please visit lostlyrics06 at gmail.com. Newcomer youth in Canada struggle to find a sense of identity, partly because they aren't respected in our education system, media, and politics. A recent York University study reports newcomer youth are three times more likely to live in poverty. 44% live below low-income cutoffs. These youths face many risk factors while being out of work and out of school. Desiree knows about these risks firsthand. He was interviewed about the importance of positive role models, especially in newcomers and other at-risk communities. Hey, 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 hey. 
life can be crazy sometimes Tell me what we are going to do well, my name is Desiree, uh, originally from St. Lucia, um, Trinidadian and St. Lucian background. Born in St. Lucia, moved to Toronto when I was 16 years old. Growing up, uh, the motivation was stemmed uh, basically from my from my dad, a uh, good role model growing up. Uh, he was a, um, a dean of the uh, teacher's training college, so I always aspired to be uh, more than the average person, just like he was. Um, having the uh, perspective of living in, in a third world country and eventually migrating to a first world country, I can certainly see that there are some cultural differences as far as, uh, you know, as far as how you are socialized. I think they're missing that uh, positive reinforcement of seeing people that they could identify with in, um, in positions of authority, positions um, where they aspire to be. It's one thing to tell a kid that he could be whatever he wants to be but if he can't see anyone in those positions that he can identify with it's certainly a challenge actually believing it when they say your love is gone well, i think uh, part of it is, is, is again i'm growing up with parents that were middle class and they were able to uh, give me all the outlets, play sports, send me on day camps uh, during the summer and again both my parents were very successful so uh, the immediate people I had in my life uh, were, were very very strong individuals that were very successful so I think you know, my main influence came from home. With, with immigrants there's a uh, there's less, um, you know, economically there's less money to go around and you have kids that don't have an outlet, they, they, they don't get to participate in sports probably because the, the parents can't afford it and, and they're left with a lot of idle time and most of these kids um, don't know any better to get what they need but, but to turn to crime and what they see in their community. So certainly that's a big influence on, on, on you know, you have kids growing up watching people doing, you know, in and out of jail you're most likely going to identify with that and think that's the only outlet. The, the percentage of, you know, which is a very, obviously a very small percentage out of those poor neighborhoods that actually make it out, I believe they move out of those neighborhoods and, and um, they move to uh, neighborhoods where, you know, where they're, they're basically a minority. Maybe, you know, you get, you get people moving from the core uh, where you have public housing and, and lots of apartment buildings over to the more residential areas. And um, unfortunately, um, they move because they have a chance to move out of the bad areas and, and, and for safety reasons and, and to socialize their kids in a different environment as to not allow their kids to be influenced by, um, by, by their peers in a negative way. So, um, you know, although that, that's, uh, that's sort of a selfish way of dealing with things, um, you know, but, but that's, that's, that's what people feel they need to do to survive. With that being done, obviously you, you have the, the good people that, that are successful moving out of those poor neighborhoods and unfortunately the people that are left back to become role models are the ones that are obviously not doing the right things. The, the, the best um, influences that we have are the people immediately around us, but I think taking one, one go around and, and probably um, being influenced by the people around and realizing that it, it, it didn't lead to a good path, then I think we need to look beyond what's immediately around us and I think um, with the social programs available and um, the positive black people and, and, and people of color that are doing positive things, I think we could all look to those role models beyond what's in, in our immediate environment to move forward. Um, I think at this point, 
with some of the social programs that allow um, you know ex-offenders to, to get back into the working community the training available there's certainly an opportunity for them to move forward and uh, and, and live productive lives as productive citizens it, it's clear that um, percentage wise um, I don't think um, you know people of color are represented in some of those positions with that being said I think um, you know growing up um, uh, and, and being at my age, I think I've seen a, a sudden change and a, and a shift towards more people of color being in those positions. So it's not something that will change overnight. I think as we invest more into 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 our younger people, um, educate them, I think they're naturally going to um, have opportunities to uh, to get into those positions. So although it's not uh, an equal playing field right now, and, and and they're not equally represented. I certainly see a move towards getting them educated and, and we're moving in the right direction. Again, we keep coming back to Barack Obama, but I think the barriers he's broken in the United States, which was which is traditionally been looked at as, as the most racially diverse country in the world, um, proves to us that there are no barriers that we can overcome uh, if we work hard enough regardless of our race. This has been We Are Listening, an audio broadcast. We thank the Ontario Provincial Advocates for Children Youth as well as the Network Group Community and the Lost Lyrics Project for these interviews. For more information, please visit provincialadvocate.on.ca. You are listening to Radio Change the World. This is a special broadcast to celebrate the International Day of the Child. In our next segment of the We Are Listening series, Melissa and Audrey talk with Midori. Midori is a former youth in Japan's foster care system. She now advocates for children and youth, 20 years after the UN Convention of the Rights of the Child. Midori reflects on how far Japan has come. Uh, my name is uh, Midori Nakamura, and I'm from uh, Osaka, Japan, and I'm involved in CVV, which is Children's Views and Voices, in Osaka. Uh, it's not from the foster care in Japan, it's basically from the institutions, uh, the kids in care in institutions that I've been involved with. How does that impact on the work that you do? Well, since I myself was in care in the institution, I knew exactly what the, the living in care like. Therefore, uh, people in care or used to be in care uh, trust me, and we can talk about our experiences, and we can share our feelings and our experiences. What are some of the common themes that come up when you're talking to other young people who are from CARE? Do they share some of the same concerns? Um, the uh, most common theme amongst the, uh, the youth in care, or used to be in care, is the loneliness. Even though they're living in the large institutions or mid-sized institutions with other kids, a bunch of people living in the same space, 
they still feel lonely in the uh, in the institution. That's the um, uh, outstanding issues among ourselves. And the number two is the uh, even this is a recent uh, uh, issues. Uh, the kids um, left in care and became uh, living independently. Uh, they don't know how to um, keep the relationship with their parents, um, how close or how um, what distance they have to keep from their parents. Number three is that uh, uh, they still um, keep the negative feelings or negative uh, experience of uh, their uh, life in institutions when they were in camp. These are the uh, three main uh, common issues that we deal with. Uh, so have you, have you and the older ones um, come up with any recommendations of how to how to kind of meet those needs, how to, how to address those concerns? Uh, most of all, since we um, uh, start up the CVV, which is a group of uh, <coughs> mostly with the uh, INCA or used to be INCA, together with supporters, including uh, lawyers, uh, we have uh, offer who wants to talk about their loneliness, for example, and make friends in, in this group. Uh, in terms of the relationship with the parent, as, as I said, we have a lawyer in our group, so we can uh, listen to their um, issues, and if they have any um, legal issues or some uh, procedural issues, we can give some advice to these youth. Um, also, just you know, just coming to, to the group and just talk with us really give them uh, uh, really uh, give them opportunity to share experience and build the uh, relationship with others and make friends so that they can they don't have to feel loneliness anymore so now with those concerns and you guys are meeting together and having a chance to address those concerns or is there anything about the care system uh, where you are that is really positive that something that um that more kids should experience. The positive experience being in uh, in care in institutions, this is a reverse uh, experience from negatives of being lonely, but at the same time, because you live in institution with other kids, uh, obviously uh, you have opportunity to build the, uh, the friendship with the other youth. And you know, sometimes you have a, a lifelong relationship with these youth and live in the same institution because they share the same experience. So that's the positive side. Now, also, um, the, the staff people or, um, or directors that do build a good relationship, again, they last a very long relationship uh, for, their, for, their, for their living. And other uh, positive uh, experience was that uh, many events um, happened at institutions that they stayed. It's the every event that they had gave them a good uh, memories, and uh, they think back at you know how good time they had. So these are the positive side of experience being in care in institutions. Do 
feel that the children um, and youth in your community know about their rights. Frankly speaking, I don't think the people know about this, uh, this rights, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, in general. However, when Japanese government ratified this convention, uh, I, I learned about the rights of the child when I was a primary uh, school student. So initially it was um, a bit of a push by the, uh, the government to let the people know about this. But now uh, I have a feeling that the more, many people don't know about this. Does that concern you? This situation really concerns me. Um, I don't think any school or schools have, um, have a class to teach about the rights of the child. Uh, and also, uh, I'm sorry, the kids don't have opportunity to learn about their rights. Also, the adults don't know about the rights of the child, so this situation concerns me. What do you think can or should be done about it? Uh, the one thing that we should be able to do is introduce the, um, in the school system, uh, in the curriculum, to teach, uh, teach about the rights of the child, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, so that kids have opportunity in the early stage of their life about their rights. As, as for uh, CVV, uh, we try to um, 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 the, uh, disseminate information to general public, let them know that, that there is the, the rights of the child uh, defined by UN. Uh, for example, when we have opportunity to give some lectures or seminars, uh, we definitely talk about the rights of the child. When speaking to children and youth, um, is it effective to have other children and youth talk to them about their rights? Do the children understand it more or appreciate learning it more from other children? Uh, basically, in Japan, we don't have a system that is youth teaching youth or kids teaching kids. Uh, not like Canada, that you have a kind of a layer uh, teaching. But this, this can be done in Japan, and probably this may show some uh, effect, positive effect we introduce the system in Japan. Right now, what we do is, um, is teaching or telling mostly um, uh, directly to youth or children or, or the staff people at institutions who don't know about, about the rights of the children, even though they work for the institutions. So from that end, um, not only we at the CVV uh, talk about the rights, but I think at, at the government or local government, they should have some kind of a system uh, to teach the, uh, the staff or social workers to know about the rights of the child. And where do you feel the world is in relation to the convention? Um, I can only say about, uh, about Japan, the situation in Japan. As you know, Japan ratified this uh, convention a long time ago. However, uh, internally, Domestically, the government doesn't have uh, any any uh, systematic or even legal um, um, change made to support this convention. 
So from that point of view, um, Japan is way behind from from um, what the convention is is trying to uh, uh, deliver to children. How would you change that? Um, as a CVV, in terms of CVV, the, what we can do is to uh, to give opportunity uh, the youth or children to express their ideas, their opinions, their concerns, their views, well, without um, without worrying about any um, uh, any any negative percussion um, to them. Uh, so that they, you know, they will realize, or they can realize that they, yes, we have right to express their own views. So that's the uh, thing that CVB uh, can do, uh, providing that opportunity. And uh, by doing so, uh, we 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 can let the general public know that this is what's happening, and this is what the uh, children's rights is, is about. To to improve the situation in Japan. Do you feel that CVV is doing all that it can to make sure or to give children and youth a, a chance to be heard? Um, from the CVV's point of view, our activity uh, still needs more, um, uh, how do you say, we have to expand our power to the general society to give our children at large uh, have opportunity to express their views. Within the CVV, of course, that those who are members or those who participate in the CVV activity, they have a uh, full right to express their views and they uh, enjoy their, their opportunity to be heard. But unfortunately, in general public, we don't have um, still uh, enough activity or enough power to, uh, to give uh, every single, every children to give them opportunity to be heard. Is there a story that you could share um, about a youth either realizing they have rights or exercising their voice? Is there a situation where a young person was able to speak up for themselves or advocate for themselves okay. and it led to positive change? Um, in terms of a story, uh, unfortunately, what's happening in general is that uh, once children uh, know about their rights, uh, rights to express their views, so they, you know, they, they take literally and express their views and many cases the institutions the adults actually crash you know uh, their uh, the, what do you call it uh, the, their opinion so in one way the adults say you have a right to express but at the, at the same time they try to uh, suppress uh, their opinion so it's not necessarily the positive experience but the few uh, positive experience by uh, expressing 
the uh, child's views uh, is. For example, the Middle East, um, her case, um, once she found out about the rights and uh, she expressed that she wanted to go to university and her voice was heard and, uh, and adults or staff uh, listened to her and supported her and helped her to realize uh, to go to university. So this is a very positive experience uh, so, uh, that I can share with you. What is the rate of children in care continuing past grade 9? The, uh, those who graduate from high school and going into university in general public, about 60%, close to 60%. However, the kids in care, um, only 10% of those who graduate from high school go to university. Wow. The huge gap. The most of the kids um, graduate from either uh, grade 9 or, or, or high school. Many kids find, trying to find a job which offer uh, dormitory, they can still have a place to live and work. Um, mostly uh, they plant, manufacturing, uh, very small companies actually, not the large ones, but the small uh, contractor, subcontractor. Um, in terms of uh, UN Convention of the Rights of the Child, um, based on my experience, actually, the, since the Japanese government ratified this convention, uh, this affected my life in a very positive way because I witnessed that at, uh, in schools or uh, in institutions, there are um, incidents of the, uh, the staff um, the uh, staff, the um, uh, what do you call it, uh, the, the attitude towards children uh, uh, improved. Uh, they used to have, they sometimes in the past, before the ratification, the staff uh, used to have, um, uh, used treated children in, in a very rough manner. Uh, in, uh, but but uh, this incident reduced dramatically since the government um, uh, ratified the convention. So from my own experience, the ratification of the rights of the child, the UN Convention, uh, really gave me a positive uh, experience because, uh, again, the adults now, I guess, know about, about, about rights and uh, they cannot treat children in a very rough manner anymore. When talk about the rough, it's the violence that we're talking about. The, the adults that treat the children in, in violently, it's much reduced since the ratification. What kind of violence were they being treated? Um, you can imagine that the kids in the institution, they don't always live peacefully. Sometimes they have a fight, a squabble among themselves. So the staff people, uh, somehow they try to uh, teach 
from their point of view, teach kids not to fight by 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 reacting uh, children by by hitting them or give them um, um, sit down on on the uh, on the floor Japanese way, and also sometimes they have uh, used a very loud voice. Mm-hmm. This kind of uh, of uh, a violence that we talk, we experienced in the past, mm. it still happened, but much reduced. Much reduced. Uh, you're right. The, the more adult knows about rights, and the better you treat children. That's for sure. The one thing uh, lacking in Japan is uh, uh, advocacy office. If children or child have some complaints or express their concerns and views, uh, there's no um, the legal or legitimate uh, body to investigate or, or listen to them. Uh, unfortunately, the advocacy office doesn't exist in Japan. So this is the uh, challenge for us. If you had a, a children's advocate, what do you think would be some of the issues they would investigate? For example, in Canada, some of our advocates are investigating overcrowding. Um, some of them are investigating um, the death of children in care. Um, what issues do you think your advocate should? The uh, many institutions in Japan are very closed, and they don't want to uh, share the information with the with the public. Uh, so it's very uh, isolated uh, islands. So the people don't know what kind of life the kids have in, in these institutions. That was Midori, a former foster child from Japan, talking about the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Japan is a signatory to the convention, as is Canada.
change. I am different, unique, and like a painting. Every part of me makes me a masterpiece, but you keep pulling me down, cutting me down, shoving me down. I am more than preconceptions, my potentials like an endless sea. back to Radio Change the World, a special broadcast to honor the voices of our kids and young people for the UN Day of the Child. This next interview was recorded in 2010 at York University. The Ontario Provincial Advocate for Children and Youth, Erwin Elman, interviews expert John Meeston, a child rights advocate, all about achieving the Convention's real goals in Canada. Hey, my name is John Meston, and I have been working in the field since 1973. Done a number of things, from being a child and youth care worker, uh, which is my background, to uh, starting uh, an agency uh, in Alberta uh, to work with youth, and that's to, it was to create, uh, do things differently. And then from there I moved to Ottawa to help found the Canadian Child Welfare Association. Um, certainly in Canada, some of the rights that I've seen change in the last, uh, well, since I started, really, uh, one of the main th- things is around the partici- participation of young people in, in 
decision making and uh, being aware of things that are happening to them, having input into different systems. So when I started, young people were to be uh, preferably not seen and definitely not heard. And the difference now is uh, that uh, not only are they seen and participating, they often are sought out for input. Still not always um, with the due respect the, the due them, but compared to before, it's certainly more. Same in Australia, having watched the development there from um, the 15 years or so that I've been back and forth working there several times, um, there's been much more movement again in youth participation. Certainly the youth in care movement in Australia has become far more a part of the service delivery system, so different advocates, offices, or whatever they're called in different states there, um, work closely with the young people and actually contract out for young people's organization to do some of the work for them in terms of getting youth participation, doing interviews of young people, and uh, just research projects. What does, what does the UNCRC mean to you and the young people that you work with? I think for, for me it sort of um, legitimizes some of what needed to be stated. Uh, so for me it's about, it, it encourages the participation, which has always been important to me. And of course it sort of defines other rights that, that adults may not necessarily think about. So for me, and, and in the work I do, some of what we're trying to do is um, try to ensure that those rights that are in the uh, UN Convention are um, recognized. I think they're often not implemented. Uh, I mean, I think people know them, but I don't think the rights are necessarily respected. And so when you talk about undue, unfair punishment, I think the systems that care for kids often don't um, recognize that. In word, we recognize it and, and agree with it, but in actual how we do things that they're not always done. Just a number of things that are in the convention that aren't sort of followed through on. Um, and how do you think the government at all level has done when it comes to children's rights? I would suggest in the actual implementation of rights, they've not done well. I don't think that, uh, I think uh, in terms of Canada in particular has been had difficulty because of the way we operate as a country. So in fact, the federal government ratified it, but it took a few more years before the last provincial government did. And the reality is, is that uh, even the province that was the last one to ratify it, the people in the province didn't know it had been ratified because many of the professionals still don't think it's been ratified. I'm not sure that it's had any impact at all. And I think that uh, Canada likes to suggest that it's... Uh, been implementing the uh, the rights, but I think as they look at things around youth justice and the money they throw at programs and issues, don't necessarily focus on the rights. Stepping back and looking at the convention itself, how do you think it has worked for young people in this province and in the country? And then if you want to take it on the international level, you're more than welcome to. Um, I think in the international level, it's probably had more of an impact in some countries. I certainly believe in Australia there's been a more of a connection to um, the rights like it's more talked about um, than it is in Canada. Um, there the federal government is a little bit stronger. England the same thing. I think they often come from a rights base. Um, they've been losing that a bit but in general the, they've always had rights as a part of their mandate and and so I think they've been a little more focused in it in terms of children and young people in Canada. 
I don't really think that it's made much of a difference um, because I don't think that uh, the general public understands it uh, or even necessarily agrees with it. Uh, I don't think that the governments have touted it. Uh, it's certainly in the Ontario legislation for the Children's Advocate. But if we were actually to stand on the United Nations Convention uh, in terms of all that's in there, I would say that most of the time the rights of our children and young people are not being recognized or at least being actually dealt with properly. I think we should be further ahead than we are. I think it needs a commitment of the federal government. Um, I think some provinces are probably more committed to it than our federal government. And I don't mean just the current federal government. I think there's been a few um, that have touted it but not actually um, really believed in it in a heartfelt way. So I think it's really about how do you, who's going to provide leadership, and hopefully it would be the federal government around the importance of the convention, standing up for rights of children and young people, and walking the walk as opposed to uh, talking and not walking. Not at the 52 conventions. Which one would you say... Uh is the one that resonates the most with you and why? For me, the most important, and I don't know the number, is, again, the youth participation. I think that young people are not uh, included in decision-making enough. Certainly there's been movement in that, and I think that's probably prior to the convention, but I think the convention has maybe helped a bit because those in the helping profession, uh, while they don't like to be questioned, they do believe in uh, youth uh, having a voice. What can happen when young people have a say and are consulted on things um, can have an impact. And I've seen it in, in child sexual abuse legislation at the federal level. I've seen it at the local level in terms of some of the uh, legislation that's been brought in. And young people have had a say in it and participated in it. It actually has made a difference in terms of what's been agreed upon or implemented. And sometimes changes have been made. Um, many people argue about measurable success. In terms of the convention in Canada, how would we measure whether or not we are moving forward in the right direction. I'm not sure what would uh, what it would take, um, because I don't think any reports that are prepared on the UN Convention actually address seriously the reality of what we're doing. I'm not sure how you would measure it, and given Canada's makeup, it makes it even more difficult. But there must be a way. There is a way. I think the Convention should be vetted in any policies that are developed or guidelines in terms of children and youth services, because I think uh, you can have the convention there and say, yes, we've ratified it, but if the legislation or the policies and the procedures you're putting in place in terms of the various systems to help negate what the rights are, then there needs to be a melding of the two to look at it. Either that or just say we don't believe in the convention and do what you want anyway. Trans people in general should have education around it because when I we hear about what goes on in some community centers or what we hear goes on in school systems, uh, what we hear go on in uh, recreation centers in terms of how children and young people are treated or their rights not respected, I, I think there's a general um, need for there to be far more public education beyond just the one narrow focus of our office. Maybe not us doing it, because yeah. I think uh, we have a mandate that's pretty clear, but I think somebody should be taking responsibility to educate the public and what does it really mean to give children and young people rights. If you could put recommendations forward to push the convention another 20 years successfully, what would your recommendations be? It is about public education on the wide public about what it is and what it really means and uh, the other part is around looking at all of the policies and procedures that are developed 
in, for children, young people, whether that be in the children's mental health system, the education system, sports and recreation, uh, all of them to look at the uh, convention to see how closely it uh, melds in with what uh, the rights are that the UN convention articulates. The 20th anniversary is a little more poignant because uh, uh, Michael Jupp was one of the people that pushed uh, so strongly to get the convention, spent much of his life moving it and then he died of a heart attack about three weeks before the convention was ratified at the United Nations and uh, I knew Michael quite well and uh, so it, it's just it, it's nice to see the life work of somebody who committed his whole being to it. Being John Meston, children rights advocate, speaking on Canadian implementation of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. You've been listening to Radio Change the World, a special broadcast where kids across Canada take over their community radio station. We thank everyone who participated, from stations such as CFFF at Trent University, CFUR in Prince George, CITR in Vancouver, CJAS in St. Augustine, CJLO in Montreal, CJRU in Toronto, CJSF in Burnaby, WDCR in Kelowna, and CKUW in Winnipeg.